and letting them set some agenda is it helps us to listen to them. They get to set the agenda. And very often in missions, you find something that the church just doesn't kind of, isn't, we're not that interested in, but actually becomes key. And so they wanted to read, wanted us to read from Isaiah 40. Now, but to do that, it's quite helpful to get a little bit of context because we live in an age of change and Isaiah 40 seems to be addressed to a time when there's just been a massive change. In the book of Isaiah, the first 40 chapters are written when Israel's in charge. They're ruling the roost. So the first 12 chapters are addressed to the rulers, talking about hope and judgment and how they should act. And then a bunch of the next, again, are about judgment and hope for the nation. So looking at Jerusalem, first of all, then looking wider. And then just as it's coming to the end, just before chapter 40, it seems like Jerusalem falls which is this major disaster. What's happened is King Hezekiah, who's known that he's, they're in some trouble, has made an alliance with Egypt to try and save Israel and Egypt. So does the right thing by them for a little while and then a couple of years later invades. And everyone is trucked away as slaves. And so chapter 40 of Isaiah completely changes its character. And when we're reading it, what we notice is it is speaking to devastated Israelites, people who have, if you've ever felt like, I just can't cope with any more change, it's written to people who feel like everything's gone wrong. So if this was similar for us, when have our worlds suddenly collapsed? Maybe straight after the Christchurch earthquakes. Maybe on March the 16th when we became aware that public spaces weren't as, spa uh, as safe as we thought. Maybe the day you find out you have cancer. Maybe when your business collapses. Tough stuff. Everything has changed. And um, Rod Robson, when he was helping us doing a bit of visioning here, he talked about Parklands 1.0, Parklands 2.0, Parklands 3.0, and said he wondered if where we were now had a little bit of a feeling of exile for us. And we're not alone in this. Exile... Um, if you step back and you look at the Western church, so the church in America and Australia and New Zealand and in England, what you will tend to note is the church is not currently growing. Actually, there um, will be denominations that say that they are, but statistics, bigger picture statistics, suggest they're not. So it's actually not great time for us. And we're not quite sure what to do. And Isaiah 40 comes to a place like that where we don't have the answers. So what I'd like to do, just, I'm, I'd like to try and get us to read this together. If I could have, if you're on this side of the church, if you could read the yellow text, okay? This side of the church, roughly, if you could read the blue, and we're all trying to do the white, and if you're sitting right in the middle, um, then choice is a wonderful thing. Okay, here we go. Remembering, this seems to have been written for people in a really tough place. Could you join me? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Now it's for all of us, and whoops, we'll all be aware of it. Yeah, that's harder to read. Let me go back. Oh, really? Oh, man, how did they do that? Um, I'll just go back. I'll have to read it to you. <laughs> Even that's going to be tricky. Right, look out, I'm swooping. We're missing a bit. Already, uh, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of eagle, like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Does that sound familiar? Most of us have heard that, haven't we? But it's interesting for me, uh, this is the first time I'd read it with the context and gone, yeah, actually that moaning, my way is hidden for the Lord, you're not, you're not paying attention to my cause, God. And then this statement that the creator of the ends of the earth will not grow tired and weary. And it goes on to say, well, even young people get tired. I know it's hard to believe, but you should see them after Easter camp. Even young people get tired. And they stumble and fall, but if you hope in the Lord, you will renew your strength. Because God does not grow tired. And there's a bit more going on that meets the eye here. To the Jews who've been dragged off into Babylonia, where people believed in gods, the gods of the heavens. Tiamat, Enli and Marduk fighting it out in the heavenlies. It's a bit confusing. This is a, um, a, a stone relief of Tiamat um, fighting with Tiamat. He's um, apparently one of them is the dragon and the other one is the other version of him. And they're having a, a fight out because for these guys, the planets and stars, these are all gods who are in a constant fight with each other. So when in Isaiah it says, look to the stars, what's it saying? There's a fight up there? No, no, it says there's one God in charge of this. He is the commander in chief and they obey his orders. Isaiah says God is outside of time and space, not answerable. And so he doesn't get tired, even though we do. And so Isaiah is really fond of saying, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. He says in Isaiah 49, lift up your eyes and look around. All your children will gather and come to you. And he says, as surely as I live, you will wear them all as ornaments, meaning they're going to be something that make you look good. Kind of nice, isn't it, if your kids make you look good? In Isaiah 60, he says, Lift up your eyes and look around you. All assemble come to you. Your sons and your daughters are carried on the hip. This is about a good future. And when things aren't great, that's not what you feel. So, as we reminded you at the start, it's not that the church of God has a mission. We don't have a mission impossible to do. But the God of mission has a church. God has a mission possible, and we're invited into it. And so, don't forget the stars. Isaiah says, look to the skies. This thing's beyond your control. Do not forget God's in charge of that. So therefore, he's in charge of your life. Right. In a moment, we're going to swing into what that might mean in China. What words come to mind when you think of China? Yum! Yum. <laughs> 
What's that? Plates and cups. Bibles. Smuggling Bibles into China. What? Yeah, Great Wall. Lots and lots and lots of people. Persecution. What's that? New Highway. Oh, that's Huawei. Um, phones and uh, fights between America and China over technology. Yep. Any, what else comes to mind? Communism. Um, single child policy, which they have now dropped. Yep. Cheap products. Absolutely. Was cheap labor? Um, it, we live in a really interesting time because China is. Uh, most of us grew up with the echoes of the British Empire. Yep, New Zealand was founded as part of the British Empire, and then the power shifted. Um, few would now call, uh, uh, say there was a British Empire now. Um, probably the power shifted more to America, and it, we've had an American Empire, and it, it looks as if the power has shifted again. America is majorly in debt to China. Um, it looks as if we have a new empire on our hands. Um, and, and that's a little bit the way China is behaving. Um, so they're investing heavily in countries. They're actually subsidizing people going to visit them. And how many people here have been to China on a visit? How many people had kids in school going to China on a visit? They're really keen to encourage this at the moment because they want to be big uh, global players. China's got a Christian history. And as far as we can tell, there's a Christian apologist, a guy called Anthropius, who wrote 300 years after Jesus' death that Christianity had reached Ceres, which was the name for northern China. 300 years after Jesus' death, it looks as if it got there. We don't actually have evidence of it, but we have evidence of the spice roads and of this. In the 13th century, this is a Nestorian steel. Um, some Nestorian monks made it to China and stuck and we know that Christianity was reasonably strong there, but they kept having the same problem over and over again, which is that there was a European Christianity, and in European Christianity it works like this, and then there was a Chinese Christianity, and that was quite different, and how did that go on with the European Christianity? What do you think? Yeah, no, thumbs down, they didn't like that. So there's a bit of argy-bargy going on, which is why I think Hudson Taylor becomes a hero, because he notices this. China was really reluctant to let foreigners in until about 1860 when there was a war, and then there was a bit of flood of foreign missionaries. There were, in 1907, there were 94 Protestant missions and about 3,000 missionaries. And then in 1949, what happened? That's right. The communists took power and all the Western missionaries were forced out. And at China essentially closed the bamboo curtain. And in the Western world, we all went, oh, it's gone desperately wrong. That's it for China, they're toast. Christianity's had its go, you know, wash our hands, uh, we can't do anything about it. It was an Isaiah 40 moment, a moment where everything had gone wrong and anyone would have forgot, uh, thought they'd forgotten to not forget about the stars. Because when they opened up China, it turned out that everyone was wrong. Bamboo Curtain had... Um, while it had been down, house churches had exploded. In um, 2011, they found that 2.6 of the population claimed to be Christian. Um, nowadays, they talk about at least 67 million Chinese Christians. 
Um, that's way, way, way more than the... Uh, before the 1950, they think about 1% of China. So it more than doubled. I've read an article quoting um, a Chinese Christian who was explaining, and I'm going to get the details wrong, they think that in their lifetime, they've had 220,000 missionaries go into China. And um, so there's some Chinese churches who are determined to send out 220,000 missionaries. And they largely want to send it along the Silk Road going back out. So it's a complete shift. The thing I would like you to remember is just we all, the Western church, thought this was broken and never to be fixed. There was no answer, and yet it took off. And so nowadays, in mission, here's what you see. This is what missionaries looked like in um, 1910. And you can see that, if, uh, it's too small to see, the big box, that's Europe. So this is where the missionary, this is where Christians were. Mostly in Europe, a few in North America, so there's kind of 14% of Christians in the world at that stage were there. This is what it looks like today. What do you need to know from this? And this is what the average missionary is no longer a Westerner. Why do we need to know this? Because in New Zealand, what we know mostly is New Zealand. And we look around and we go, how are we doing? What's going on? Actually, the church is doing quite well in other places. Bill was right to say there's persecution in China. It's a frightening time. In fact, it's not an easy time for any religious organization. So there's persecution happening on lots of levels, and we don't know what's going to happen with this. But how fascinating they're planning to spend 220,000 missionaries. So it's changed. If we were going to take a straw poll of, of Christians, we'd look much more multicolored than we do here. What does it mean? It means don't forget the stars. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings the starry host out one by one and calls each one of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. In the book of Revelation, there's Revelation, could be Revolution. In the book of Revelation, there's a fascinating line about saying the nations bring their glories to God, the fact that every culture would be represented. But um, I wanted you to hear Chris Chamberlain tell a story. So I went down and videoed him because I found a story that gives you a hint, us a hint, of the change happening here. And I think it's really cool. So remember JJ Doak? None of us knew who he was. Could you play, um, swap back over to the other machine and play Chris's bid? Thanks. Oxford Church for me is Oxford Church for me is uh, a lot of it is about history, and um, so here's a story from 1895, the late 1800s. J.J. Doak, he was the minister of the church, and um, at that point there were quite a few Chinese immigrants in New Zealand, three or four or five thousand, um, and many of them had been in the goldfields. That had, um, had come to the end, and um, numbers were congregating into Christchurch. Uh, they were working in market gardens and, and in laundries, and they were subject to xenophobia, racism. There was, in fact, across New Zealand at that point, there was quite a bit of um, um, terror being um, um, whipped up by newspapers and things about um, the Chinese hordes. And JJ Doak was not going to have a bar of that. 
he was a social justice firebrand. And uh, because of the gospel of Jesus, he responded to these Chinese folk. What he did um, was uh, he started up a, uh, a Bible study group. Um, within a couple of years, they had baptised um, three of these Chinese people. They had raised um, um, 85 pounds and uh, they built um, a, a, a dedicated um, Chinese mission hall um, beside the old church building. And um, in fact, the Chinese people were the, largely were the, the ones who funded that. Um, and um, then, this is probably the big story, uh, there was um, a, um, a gambling um, hall um, um, that the police raided and they locked up a whole lot of Chinese men and JJ Doak heard about this and he went to the police and to the magistrate and he said, um, you, need to let them, you need to let them out. In fact, um, the jail that you've, you're holding them in is not fit to put a person in. It's, it's, it's not fit to put a dog in. And um, he argued with them. And he was very, very... Dis um, he, was, he was really onto it when it came to the fact that discrimination was occurring. Because one of the comments was, oh, they all look the same to us. We can't let your ones go. And uh, he said, this is, this is just racist discrimination. And he succeeded in getting them out of jail and getting the jails demolished, and getting new jails built. So um, five years ago, um, we met um, a Chinese couple, and uh, she was studying and wanted to do an internship um, with the church, and, and so that commenced, and it's growing, and Oxford Terrace has, has, um, has uh, um, employed uh, Jane, Jane Kongyi, some of you have met her, Jane's a real um, enthusiast for the gospel, and she passed as our 2pm congregation, an international um, congregation. And um, when uh, we decided to appoint her, um, the, the, the home church, the, the church she comes from in, uh, in China, heard about this. They also saw some photos that we had salvaged from the past that talked about um, the story from 100 years ago. Um, and they were very, very moved and contacted us and said, well, we want to pay. We want to help pay for, uh, for, for Jane's salary. And uh, we replied and said, well, you don't need to do that because this is our, we're, we're doing this. Um, thank you for your interest, but you know, and they insisted, no, we want to put money in. And um, I replied and said, well, why? And it was very moving, the response. You helped us. 100 years ago, you helped us. And um, it's really powerful. Um, yeah. One more thing. Um, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, these days, mission, um, my assumption is that we, we send missionaries. Well, actually, we're receiving missionaries. Uh, from China and the treasurer of the church over there contacted and said you know we want to put some money into this and um, this would never happen in New Zealand the treasurer insisted upon interviewing every single person who wanted to contribute funds for this project here in New Zealand and turned some people away because they didn't have an acceptable testimony as to why God was moving them to contribute imagine that and uh, a day or two later we, we 
I'm still processing that. Um, a day or two later, um, another message came, oh, we've got a problem. Um, there's too much money being given. Um, it's, it's just an incredible story of, um, you know, a hundred years ago something happened and God's spirit has, uh, has not finished with that yet. And, and now the, the thing's still unfolding. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful and, and a, a very compelling story of God's mission heart. At that point, I asked Chris, uh, uh, I told him we were really grateful that he'd decided to give the extra money to Parklands in terms of our building project, and he laughed. Um, <laughs> what I want us to hold on to is simply this. Oh, by the way, I haven't taken up the offering, so in a little bit we're going to sing, and there'll be no interviews. Um, <laughs> Um, I just want us to hold on to a hundred years ago there was J.J. Doak standing up for people, standing up against racism, fighting for care for others. He had no idea there'd ever be a payoff. A hundred years later, another church is going, we'll pay for this. Because a hundred years ago you were for us. I think that speaks to us. I think churches forever feel, often feel like, oh, we're up against it, it's not working well, God, what are you doing? And we forget that it's a long game, and we forget that it's something that God is doing, and we forget that the little stuff pays off, and we forget that when we think it's all gone to custard, the track record of God is that actually God is doing this. So when the bamboo curtain comes back up, they go, oh, well, there is a church. And actually, it's more alive and well with some really crazy ideas. If you've read any, read any Watchman Nee or Watchman Lee, there's some quite, really? But full of life and full of the spirit. So, do you? A friend, a friend of yours went to a Baptist church in Central. Okay. Actually, the other bit for this is probably all of us know something. We know a bit of these stories. And so ideally, we'd be telling them to each other. We might have to get you to tell your story to somebody after this. Because what I think we're, what we'd like to do is uh, I'd like to do is have the team up. We're going to um, sing a few songs. I'd like you to hold on to that. Come on, look to the stars. What is God doing? And that last song, this is the reason I wanted us to sing There's Going to Be a Great Rejoicing, is that the end of the Christian story is that there will be a great rejoicing. We evangelicals tend to focus, have tended to focus on who gets in and who gets out. That tends to be the thing that motivates us. Um, we're, we're really interested in the bouncers standing at the door. Um, and there's good reasons for that. However, do not forget there will be a great rejoicing. And I think I'd like to have that, honestly, I'd like to have that ringing in my own ears. So about a month ago, I heard this song, and it just kept coming back to me. And I've been reminded that God will do this. That we get to play in the playing fields of God we don't have to always be intense about it. I need to hear that because I tend toward the intense. God will do this. It's what God 
does. It's why God is so good. So I'd like to invite you to stand.